and we're going to try to get into this, and, and I would have loved to have just had Elder Mays uh, just preach again tonight, but um, I, I feel like, you know, I mentioned to you Sunday, I, I felt this last Tuesday night, and then circumstances, situations being what they were, uh, I feel like, feel like we did the right thing in what we did, but I do believe that the Lord wants me to go back and pick this up here tonight, and I, now I can tell you, I can tell you right now, I'm giving you a heads up, I will not finish this lesson tonight. I know that's shocking for me to admit it up front, and it's shocking for you to think that I'm not going to get it done in one night. And if I had a, uh, if I had a cattle prod, I wouldn't be the only one shocked right now. <clears throat> My dear brother self might be feeling the other end of that. But anyhow, you, 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 you know, some of you that think that you're going to be funny, and you, you forget I've got the microphone, and I... I get the last word. I get the last word. I won't dismiss until I got the last word. So, so you, you're, you're not going to get by with these things. Praise God. So anyhow, I'm just telling you now that I won't finish this study of this church. It's, it's just not going to happen tonight. I've got far too much ground to cover. And uh, still not at 100% strength, I'm getting there. I'm feeling better, and I'm thankful for that and thankful for your prayers. And even after a, uh, an exhausting week already, um, I, I still feel a little stronger tonight, and I'm thankful for that, thankful for that. So let's turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 1, and uh, we will read one verse uh, there, then we're going to skip down and read a couple more verses. So Revelation chapter 1, we'll read verse 11, and then we'll skip down to verses 19 and 20. Revelation chapter 1, verse 11, and then verses 19 and 20. The Bible says, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And then skipping down to verse number 19, write the things which thou hast seen, now, please pay attention to what he says. The things which thou hast seen and the things which are, present tense, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Now we'll, we'll do a bit of a review because it's been a long time since I've dealt with this. So we will take a few moments tonight to do a bit of a review. Um, so I'll explain some of this for those uh, who have not been a part or who have forgotten. 
and we will remind you. And then we're going to get into where I want to go tonight, and that is in this series on the lessons from the seven churches. Tonight, I want to start talking about the church at Philadelphia. And I just went ahead and told them at the sound booth to mark it as part one because I know I'm not getting through with this. I know that up front. And so this is Lessons from the Seven Churches. We're dealing with Philadelphia, part one of this study. Would you put your Bibles down? Let's lift our hands and lift our voices and let's talk to the Lord together. Let's ask him, let's ask him to speak to us and let's ask him to grant revelation tonight. I want revelation to flow through this house. Everybody, let's talk to the Lord. praise you in Jesus name in Jesus name amen amen God bless you you may be seated and I'm going to be seated right along with you tonight so I can again salvage a little bit of strength and uh, and give my back a little bit of a rest but as you've seen I don't generally stay seated all night and uh, I hope that's the case again tonight if I fall asleep somebody wake me up all right Praise God. I, I said one time, I said, you know, I had a dream once that I was preaching. I woke up and I was. Amen. So I hope that doesn't happen tonight. Praise God. Now, again, I want to give you just a brief review before I get into tonight's lesson. I want to remind you that in verse 19, the Lord told John that he was to write about two specific time periods. He said, now you're going to write the things that I'm going to show you. But then he identifies within that two specific time periods. He said, first of all, there are the things which are. That is, the things which exist right now, John, while you're alive. This era, this New Testament church era in its, in its infancy, um, even though there is a good chance a good possibility that by this time all of the original apostles were now dead except for John uh, but still we are close enough to that original time that when he talks about the things that are we can understand that for instance the church at Ephesus that's mentioned here was the church that Paul founded in Acts chapter 19 we're not we're not ages removed we are only a few years removed from Paul finding those believers and asking them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And when they said, we've not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost, he then followed that up with, unto what then were you baptized? And I'll just throw this in free of charge. Uh, I'm going to tell you that's still the two most important questions anybody could ever be asked. Do you have the Holy Ghost and have you been baptized in Jesus' name? I will point out to you, he did not ask, have you believed on the Lord Jesus? He did not ask, have you accepted Christ as your Savior? He wanted to know, do you have the Holy Ghost and have you been baptized in Jesus' name? 
Well, praise God. Amen. So, uh, it was only a few years after all of that had happened when this, when this book of Revelation was written by John on the Isle of Patmos. And, uh, and so, uh, he was talking about the things which are. And then, Jesus went on to say, I also want you to write about the things which shall be hereafter. And I believe that that's a reference to the things that would happen from the time of the New Testament church until the end of the age. In fact, maybe I need to reword that because it's not just the end of the age, it's the end of the world. I mean, we see the world being consumed in the book of Revelation. We see, we see eternity in its beginning in the book of Revelation. So, so this goes from the founding of the church all the way until there is no end. The end of what we know, which is the beginning of everything that's really real. Are you with me tonight? Amen. And so you have to keep that in mind. When you read the book of Revelation, there are things which currently existed and then there are things which were yet to come. Now I'm not gonna spend time tonight trying to show you which is which, except to say, that when he told him to write these letters to these seven churches, he was not dealing with the things which were to come per se. He was writing to seven literal churches. Now that's important because there are those who believe that the seven churches are simply symbolic of time periods. Now look, if that's the case, we've got a real problem on our hands. Because what that would mean is we would end as a church in a Laodicean condition. Which is totally backslidden and God ready to vomit the church out of his mouth. And secondly, it would mean the church started in the condition of Ephesus. Which he said in this letter had left their first love. Now, the church didn't start that way. So you can't, you can't say these are seven time periods from the beginning through the end. These were seven literal churches that existed at the time John was on the island. And like Paul and Peter and James and Titus and whoever the author of Hebrews was, which I believe was Paul, John was being inspired by God to write letters to churches that were in existence. Hallelujah. And so when we read these letters found in uh, the book of Revelation chapter 2 and 3, then we ought to understand these were churches that actually existed. Uh, now, a couple of things about that. There is some symbolism in all of this. Because first of all, Jesus showed John seven golden candlesticks and then went on to explain to John that those candlesticks, now remember candlesticks represented light. There were no chandeliers. There were no incandescent bulbs. Lighting back then was done by candlestick or by oil lamp. The temple was lit by a candlestick. And so Jesus used that symbol 
to represent the church. And that's what he told John. The seven candlesticks that you saw are the seven churches that I want you to write to. And then he said, you saw seven stars in my right hand. And he said, those stars are the angels of those seven churches. Now the word angel uh, really is, is a bit um, improperly, I guess I could say, translated in the King James because the word, the Greek word is angelos. And what they did was to transliterate that into angel. Transliteration, you know, is taking the Greek letters and putting it into uh, the English alphabet. So they took the Greek letters for, angel, uh, for angelos and turned that into angel. Everybody with me? Made an English word out of it. The problem is when we think of angels, we think of winged creatures with halos and harps and whatever. Um, like one man said one time, he said, my wife is an angel. Said she's always up in the air harping about something. Now, I didn't say that about any of you ladies. I said another man said it about his wife, all right? So, so just making sure, just making sure. Uh, but we think of angels in that term. But, but when Jesus used this word angelos, we have to go back to the meaning of the word, not the Greek, uh, not, not the English transliteration, but the Greek meaning of the word, which was messenger. And so Jesus said, John, I want you to write to the messenger of the church. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because this is review, but I do want you to notice that that messenger was in the right hand of the Lord. We one God people understand what right hand means. We understand the symbolism of right hand. Don't we? I'm not getting enough amens there. If you don't understand it, then maybe I need to teach a different lesson tonight. But right hand was always symbolic of power and authority. And so what he was saying is, first of all, I've got something to say to these churches. But, but my message is directed to the messenger. He's the one that has the power and authority to take care of this. It's his responsibility to fix things. Well, that's right. That's why every once in a while a pastor's got to go beyond, can I say it tonight, got to go beyond Joel Osteen mode. Got to go beyond a million dollar smile. Got to go beyond just saying words that makes everybody feel good. Once in a while a pastor's got to get down where the rubber meets the road and address things in our lives. Because that's the reason God gives us that power and authority. Not so we can be a lord over God's heritage. Well, hallelujah. He didn't give us power and authority so we could beat the sheep. Though sometimes we may, it may feel like we're shearing you. Well, hallelujah. But that's got to happen. That's what sheep are for. Don't forget that. Look, sheep, sheep only serve two purposes. They're either going to be sheared for their wool or they're going to be cooked for a meal. So when you get sheared, thank God. 
it could have been worse. <laughs> at least you're not on the spit, right? At least, at least you're not on the, the, the barbecue right now. You, 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 may, you may feel naked and embarrassed because he's cropped you mighty close tonight, but, but at least you're still alive. But that's, that's the power and authority God invested in the angel of the church. Praise God. And so this is why he did what he did. And then, and then notice too that the Bible says that he was walking, Christ was walking in the midst of these candlesticks. And I'm telling you, he does. He walks in the midst of his church as much as they will allow him. And we'll deal with that when we get to the church of Laodicea. Now, the reason why he picked seven is there were not just seven churches in existence. There were many, many other churches. But you understand that the number seven was, was the number of completion. Some people say, well, it's, it's God's number of perfection. And, and I guess in one sense you could say that, but it's really the number of completion. It was in seven days that God, God uh, completed the process of creation. So seven is God's number of completion. It's his number of fullness. And so I believe that the reason why he wrote to seven churches, it is my conviction that when you take the sum total of what God said to these seven churches, look at the things he commended and look at the things he condemned. And you get a picture of a complete and perfect church if the church will stay away from the things God condemned and embrace the things God commended then the church becomes what God wants them to be hallelujah and I believe that these churches were representative and that's why I think in this case we're dealing with the things which are at the time of John but also because of the principles involved it applies to the things which shall be hereafter even to this very church hallelujah amen and so I just wanted you to keep those things in mind as we go through this and then uh, we could spend some time talking about the letters themselves uh, for each of these letters they, they all open either with a promise or a threat now when I say threat God doesn't make empty threats if God threatens then you can, you can count on it now usually that threat is conditional if you don't I will but it's there nonetheless. But even many of his promises were conditional. If you will, I will. Hallelujah. And so as you look at each of these seven letters, every one of them contains either a promise or a threat. Usually opens, not always, but, but it usually contains either a promise or a threat. And, and most of these letters contain both. In fact, out of the seven churches, out of the seven churches, five of those seven were commanded to repent. Five out of seven. One that was not commanded to repent, God let them know they were going to be crushed, but a sweet-smelling fragrance would come out of it, and we talked about that one a few weeks ago. They would have to be crushed. 
Uh, but he did not threaten them, and it wasn't because he was angry with them. But it's just that that's the only way some people can be saved. They need that to bring them to their knees. God did not condemn anything in that church. But at the same time, he did let them know they were headed for trouble. But that he would keep them through it. And that's, that's comforting to hear. And then, and then every letter contains the very same plea. When he says, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And we'll explain that. We will explain that uh, when we get to the end of this lesson on Philadelphia, which again will not be tonight. But we'll explain what that phrase means when we get there. Now, I will say this that uh, all of the recipients were to hear what was said. The Lord did not just write a letter to Ephesus and a letter to Smyrna and a letter to Pergamos, but he wrote a letter to each of these, but he gave them all to John, and he expressed that every church was to read every letter. And this is why I say to you that I believe that you find in these seven God's complete picture. And that's why it's important for us to study all seven. Because I want to be the kind of church God wants us to be. I want to be the kind of church God approves of. I don't want to be a church that God has to tell us to repent as a church. I want to be the kind of church that God makes promises to us. And lets us know all the great things that he has in store for us as a church because he is well pleased with what we're doing. That's my desire as a pastor and that's what we're striving for. So, so we have talked about so far every one of these churches except Philadelphia and Laodicea. Tonight we are on the next to the last of these churches and that is the church of Philadelphia. The church of Philadelphia. Amen. And so let's begin by reading the entire letter. Open your Bibles. This is Bible study. Now, Brother Mays is a preacher's preacher, and he did a phenomenal job. I'm just going to slow down and do some teaching tonight. And so, so I want you to go with me. The book of Revelation, chapter 3, and we begin with verse number 7. Revelation chapter 3, and it's a rather lengthy letter compared to some of the others. Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. All right, Revelation 3, verses 7 through 13, read. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, and he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the, of the synagogue, make them of the, the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews, and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee, because thou hast kept the word of my patience. I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which that which shall come upon all the world, to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. 
Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New, which is new Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. All right, and what a letter that is. What a letter that is. I, I don't know if you picked up on everything that was said there, but there's some powerful, powerful promises that are made in this passage of Scripture. Amen. So let's talk a little bit, as we've done in the past, to help you understand what we're dealing with here, this letter that is written to the church in Philadelphia. Let's talk a little bit about the city of Philadelphia. As you will remember, many times the city and the background of the city uh, would end up affecting the church in some way. And, and, and many times the mindset of the city would bleed into the church and the city would have more impact on the church than the church was having on the city. And so it's, it's always important to go in and just look at this and know a little bit more about each of these. So let's talk about this city of Philadelphia. This is not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, by the way. Just making sure everybody knows that. All right, Philadelphia. This was a relatively new city at the time of this writing. It was founded in uh, 189 B.C. That is about 300 years before this letter was written. So when I say relatively new, when it comes to cities in biblical times, a city that was only 300 years old was a fairly young city historically. All right? Uh, and so that's about uh, 300 years before the letter was written. It was founded by the king of Pergamos, uh, the man who was king of Pergamos at that time, and he founded the city specifically for his brother, his brother. Now, the reason why that's significant, it helps us understand why the city was named what it was named. The name of the city is Philadelphia. That means, and I'll explain this more in a moment, but, but just accept this and I'll prove it, but Philadelphia is actually a compound Greek word and it means brotherly love. And so the city was founded as a gift to the king's brother. And he named it Brotherly Love. All right? So now it, it appears that the, the placing of this city, the geographical location of this city, that evidently the king hoped that this city would grow to be the center of, of the, of the Greco-Roman civilization. Uh, that it would become the hub of everything that was going on in that time period. Um, it it uh, was most likely founded for a social purpose. One historian said that the city was in one sense a missionary city from the beginning. It was founded uh, to promote a certain unity of spirit, customs, and loyalty within the realm. The city was a peaceful city. It had been annexed to Rome in a peaceful manner. And, and the city was very loyal to the Roman government. 
it was located near the upper end of a broad valley that leads down through Sardis to the sea. Uh, it was near Smyrna, and it was on the verge of a very fertile territory of plateau country. All right? So get the picture. It's beautiful. It's well watered. It's nearby other cities that we've already looked at and studied in, in this series. And it was very fertile, flat country. It was the center of farming activity. Now, now look, I, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. And I'm going to do my best not to. But I can't help it when I consider the history of Philadelphia being right in the heart of the major empire of the world and being farming territory that may not mean one thing to you but if it does Welcome to Kansas. When I talk about being in the heart of the civilized world, we are in the heart of America right now. We are right here at the base of the fertile flatlands. God picked a place like that to extend his greatest promises. I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying. I'm, I'm pulling back on the reins. I'm trying to keep it in teaching mode. Now, the most common farming there was the vineyard, production of grapes, um, the city was known as the doorway to the east. We're not too far from the gateway to the west. Which if it's the gateway to the west, if you go in the other direction, kind of makes it the doorway to the east. Now, Passing through Philadelphia, there was a trade route to the riches of the Orient. They came through, they passed through from one very civilized and very wealthy empire to another. They would go right through Philadelphia on their way. There was an imperial post route from Rome through Philadelphia. They had postal workers. This was, this was where mail would be carried on its way to and from Rome, the world's capital at the time. This was also a military route. 
and the soldiers would pass through there on frequent basis. In fact, because it was a trade route and a postal route and a military route, there were just people of all kinds that were constantly passing through this heartland city of Philadelphia. Every tribe and tongue and nation would go through Philadelphia. Oh, hallelujah. The ends of those days would have people who were staying from probably every area of the then known world. Many cultures would travel through on their way to Rome or back as they were making their trades. Now, the major problem in the city that they had to deal with was earthquakes. There was a fault line running very close to its location. Multiple times the city was completely destroyed because of earthquakes and had to be rebuilt and the aftershocks would terrify the residents. In fact, many of them chose to live in the fields to avoid the falling debris and to keep their homes from collapsing. But it was in this setting, think about this, in this setting, with every culture passing through, every language coming through, military being stationed there and postal routes and trading routes coming through and yet danger all around. It was in this setting that God looked down and smiled on a church. And again, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but let me just tell you now, evidently from what we read, it was not a large church when God smiled on it. But all of that was going to change. Oh, hallelujah. I'm, I'm doing my best right now to, to hold back here. But, but anyhow, it was in the midst of all of this that a very healthy and very spiritual church was being built. It was being raised up in these circumstances. As I've already said, every other church, there was something negative said about them except for Smyrna. We've dealt with that. Smyrna, Smyrna was unique in that there was nothing negative said about Smyrna, but, but yet Smyrna was told, you're going to be crushed. Not because of any sin, but that was just their lot. That was what God had chosen for them. But there was nothing negative that God said about the church at Smyrna. He did not condemn them. He did not call them to repentance. But outside of Smyrna, the only other church that had that kind of testimony was the church we're looking at tonight, and that's the church in Philadelphia. And I'm going to tell you, that church in Philadelphia was given, in my opinion, what amounts to the greatest promise ever given to any church. Well, hallelujah. And we're going to find out the reasons why as we go through this study. Whether we get to them tonight or we have to put it off until next week, I don't know. But we're going to find out the reasons why God made these phenomenal promises to this church of Philadelphia. Now, 
I will tell you this. I do believe that in large part, and I, again, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm going to tell you, I believe in large part it's because this church was a reflection of the name of the city, as was every church we've looked at so far. Ephesus, which meant uh, betrothed, and, and, and he talked about they'd left their first love, and we went through all of this. We, we talked about this, but when you look at Philadelphia, the city name means brotherly love, and I'm going to tell you, I am convinced that it was because this was a church that was filled with loving people that cared about others that God looked down, and he was impressed. God was moved to extend his greatest promise of all the seven churches to a church that was filled with brotherly love. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. As I said, it's, it is, I told you I'd prove to you that it means brotherly love. It's a compound Greek word. It's made up of two Greek words. The first word is the word phileo, which means love. And then adolphos, which means brother. So you take phileo, love, adolphos, brother, phileo, adolphos, or Philadelphia, and it becomes brotherly love. And it is not, as I said, an accident that these great promises would be given to a church that was built on brotherly love. Here's what Jesus said in John 13, verse number 35. By this shall all men know. This is how all men are going to know. That ye are my disciples. That ye are my disciples. If ye have love. If ye have love. One to another. One to another. And I'm going to tell you, I don't mind telling you this. Amen. And I, I don't know. They may be listening tonight. I don't know. But I cannot begin to number for you how many folks after the funeral uh, yesterday came to me and said, I am so moved by the love of this church. I can't tell you how many folks commented to me. Amen. I see something in this church that's so hard to find. We are so moved by the kind of love that you showed. In fact, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. I, I hope I can say this, but even the funeral director was in tears before everything was over. And that's unusual for a funeral director. They deal with death all the time. It wasn't that she was moved with sadness, but she was moved by what she felt and what she saw. A group of people that went above and beyond to show love and compassion. I'm telling you, that's what God looked at. And the Bible says that's how all men are going to know that you're my disciple when they see the kind of love that you have one to another. Even today, even today, at Brother Toby's mother's funeral and 
bless your hearts for being here tonight. Amen. After a long, long day. Amen. But I'm going to tell you, even today, uh, at, at that funeral, a backslider came to me in tears and said, thank you so much for what your church has done in all of this. I, I, I'm going to tell you, folks, people see the way you stepped up to the plate. I don't take any credit for this, but they see love among this congregation. They see love among these people, and they're paying attention. You hear me? I said they're paying attention. Again, I don't know if they're listening, but I'll, I'll just tell you this one little secret. Maybe I shouldn't say it in the microphone. I know people listening online are wondering what I'm saying. You should have been in church. Wouldn't it be amazing if the two that this man prophesied about just happened to be? Two sisters of the man we lost. Wouldn't that be amazing? By this shall all men know. Now, you know, you know, you know, I believe in speaking in tongues. I believe in worship. I preached on worship. I spent two Sundays preaching about worship just recently. You know, I believe in holiness. You know, I believe in all these things. But I'm just telling you, church, he did not say that it was by any of these things that people are going to know that you're my disciples. But he said they will start noticing if there's a different characteristic about the love you show when you're not getting anything back out of it, when you're not doing it so you can get recognition, you're not doing it to try oh, to make yourself look good, but they can tell it's genuine love that you care about somebody. People notice that. In fact, somebody, somebody yesterday came to me and said you folks are just so awesome I said no 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 he's the awesome one she said yes but he shines through you in fact her husband looked at me before they walked away and he said don't you be surprised if you don't look out here in the congregation and see me sitting there very soon Oh, listen to me, church. Listen to me. It was that church of Philadelphia. It was that church of brotherly love. Not where they're constantly trying to condemn people, trying to push people away, trying to find fault, trying to criticize, trying to call people out and run them down. That's not what's going on. But they found a church where they love one another. They care about one another. can't tell
tell you how many people, and I, I would not reveal their names, but people that are sitting here right now that have come to me on more than one occasion in tears and said, I'm so thankful for this church. I'm so thankful that I found a place to be healed. I had so many hurts. I had so many things, but we walked in here and we were loved and we were accepted. Church, keep it up. That's what caught God's attention in Philadelphia. That's what brought about a revival to Philadelphia. Hallelujah. This, this, he said, is how all men are going to know. You're my disciples. This is it. It does not negate the other things. It does not do away with the other things. But he said this is going to be the prominent thing. This is what they're really going to notice. Well, hallelujah. Amen. The apostle John, who's the one who penned those words we just read in John 13, 35. He made it plain if we don't love one another then we really don't love God either. Read for me 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Uh-huh. And this commandment have we from him, uh-huh. that he who loved God loved his brother also. I'm telling you, John said, it's just as simple as this. You say you love God, but you hate somebody else, you don't, you, you don't love God. In fact, John didn't mince any words. John said, you're a liar. Riggin Revised would try to put a little nicer, you know, like... Liar, liar, pants on fire or something. <laughs> At least get a little smile out of you. I don't know. Well, hallelujah. But I'm telling you, John didn't mince any words. He said it's absolutely impossible to love God and not love your brother. Can't be done. Can't be done. And let me just throw this in for free, but hatred, hatred is a cancer. It's a cancer. And if you ever allow it to take over one little cell in your heart, you think, well, I only hate this person. That's now. But that's like saying, I only have one cancerous cell, so I'm not worried about treating it. If you don't treat it, cancer will spread. So I just hate this one person. Well, you better get in an altar and get that out. Oh, Jesus, I feel like doing some more preaching right now. I got to be careful. I got to be careful. I'm telling you, Jacob knew that Esau, his brother, hated him. And Jacob was afraid of his brother Esau. But after an all-night prayer meeting and wrestling with God, you know, the Bible says that when he looked on his brother's face, it appeared to him as the face of God. 
That man that hated him so much, that man of whom he was so afraid, when he looked at his enemy, he saw his enemy and said, that looks like God to me. That's what an all-night prayer meeting will do for you. So I'm just telling you, if you got somebody in your heart that, that you just can't love them, you just, you know what? I know the cure. Jacob taught us the cure. But you know what changed Esau? It wasn't that Esau changed. Because the angel didn't say to Jacob, your brother's name shall be. The angel that morning said, your name is no longer Jacob the deceiver, but now it's Israel, a prince with God. You're the one that changed, Jacob. You're the one that changed. And there was something about his approach to his brother, something about his humility before his brother that Esau had never seen in Jacob in all the days they were growing up together. You remember, if you've read the story, he was sending all of these animals and flocks and even his own children, and, and, and he was sending all that ahead, and, and, and Esau's looking at all this, and then Jacob comes bowing on his face before his brother. That had never happened in all the years they'd grown up together. They were twins. They'd known each other. Amen. But I'm telling you that Esau had never seen that side of Jacob because that side didn't exist until that all-night encounter with God. And I believe the reason Jacob fell on his shoulder and loved him instead of coming, he left to kill him. But when he met him, he loved him. It wasn't that Esau changed. Because the Bible says Esau never could find a place of repentance. So Esau never changed. But Jacob did. And that changed the response he got from Esau. So maybe instead of spending all your time praying for God to change them, change them, change them, maybe you should be saying, God, change me, change me, change me. Let them see your love in me. Woo, hallelujah. I'm, I'm about to get beside myself and forget about all this surgery stuff. I'm, I'm, I was not just preaching. I'm, I'm about to get my stomp on. I'm about to have you go get that towel out of my office and make it my stomp on tonight. I was looking to see if anybody brought theirs tonight. I didn't see anybody bringing. Oh, brother, brother Nelson, look at there. I hadn't seen you wave it yet, so that's the whole deal. Yeah, yeah get out there and wave it a little bit. There you go. Yeah, get that stomp on. Hallelujah. Well, those of you that weren't at the, at the uh, home-going service of Brother Weems, you'll just have to go listen online and figure out what that's all about. But, but uh, this do in remembrance of me. Amen. This do in remembrance of me. That's, that's kind of the way I'm feeling right about now. I, I feel like grabbing a towel and getting my stomp on. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen, 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 amen. I'm telling you, an all-night prayer meeting will change everything. In fact, I had a good friend, a pastor, who said to me one time, he said, you know, we're always saying prayer changes things, prayer changes things. He said, really, we need to, we need to reword that prayer changes us. Prayer cha Sometimes the things don't change, but we do. And sometimes that's what we need. 
Sometimes God doesn't want to change the things. Sometimes he wants there to be a thorn in our flesh. That's what Paul had. Paul was, was a spiritual man. We all agree on that, don't we? Well, about three of you agree on that. For the rest of you, it's the truth anyhow. God wanted, God is the one who told, Paul said three times I besought the Lord. And God said, my grace is sufficient. In other words, I'm not doing it. This is one thing I'm not changing, Paul. Now, God answered a lot of Paul's prayers, but he said, this is one I'm not answering. My grace is sufficient. He said, because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Paul also said he did this because he didn't want me to be lifted up above measure. He didn't want me getting the big head. So he let me go through life with this thorn in my flesh. And while I'm seeing everybody else healed, I got to deal with my own problems. And that reminds me, it's not me that's doing it because if it was me that's doing it, I'd fix my own first. All right, all right. That's a little off the subject, but not too far because we are talking about Philadelphia. We're talking about brotherly love. Hallelujah. All right. Now I expect it to be further than this by this time. Hey, let that boy laugh. At least somebody appreciates my jokes. He's shouting amen when some of you saints have been around a while and hadn't said a word. He's putting some of you to shame. All right, all right. He may not understand a word I'm saying, but at least he's getting behind me. See there? All right. So let's let's let me let me let me let me take just a few few moments here, and um, I will try to not go too deep. I didn't get near as far as I'd hoped in this, but oh, there's so much I want to deal with. Uh, so much I hope to get to tonight, and I'm just there may be three or four parts to this before I'm done. <laughs> All right, all right. So let's, let's look at the letter itself after having said all of that. Let's, let's start into the letter, and I'll take a few moments here to get started into the letter and see if I can, maybe within about 15 minutes, maybe, maybe within about 15 minutes, cover enough that I feel comfortable stopping. Um, so let's, let's go back, look again. If you still got your Bible open, Revelation chapter 3, verse number 7. Let's look at the introduction to... This letter, Revelation 3, verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. Oh, hallelujah. Now, I've pointed out to you in previous letters, and again, for those who, who have not been a part of the previous series, you can find it all on... YouTube or on our website, you can go to alethatruth.com slash media, and uh, you can just do a search, I think, can they do a search for seven churches? They have to spell out the word seven, right? Okay, so do a search for seven churches, spelling out the word seven, and you can find the series there, and I think they're all numbered part one, part two, whatever, 
Um, but you can go through and listen to it and hear everything that was said. But uh, for the rest of you, let me, let me just say, I've pointed out before that in each letter, the Lord identifies himself as the author of the letter in a very unique way. Even uh, identifying himself as a God of judgment in some cases. And, and uh, you know, the one that's bearing the sword. And, and so many things that when he would open these letters, he was letting them know who he was in a way that was completely relative to what he was going to say in that letter. He didn't just pick a random title. But, but however he chose to identify himself, it was really his way of introducing where he was going in that letter. So I want you to pay attention to what he said. These things saith he that is holy. So that's the first identifier that he gives before he gets anywhere else. He's the one that's holy. Now, I've, I've stated before, and I, I haven't forgotten about my book on separation. That will come sometime. That will come. Um, but I, I've, I've actually taught here uh, a lesson that will become probably chapter one of the book. Uh, I think it's in chapter one's place right now. Just don't know how things will end up. But I taught a lesson that that God has various characteristics about him, such as he is love. He is truth. He is the way. He is righteousness. He is provider. We, we've talked about God has a lot of characteristics, but there is a premier characteristic of God, a primary characteristic of God that supersedes all others. And, and I say that because when God created the, the angelic beings that would surround his throne day and night and sing unto him, they do not sing love, love, love. They do not sing truth, truth, truth. But day and night, throughout eternity, they cease not to proclaim, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now again, he's not saying that holy to the Father, holy to the Son, holy to the Spirit, as some people would try to convince you, no. No, 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 this was a Hebraism. This was, this was the use of the Hebrew language that Jews understood. If they wanted to emphasize something, they would repeat it twice. If they really, really, really wanted to show the importance, they would emphasize it three times. Such as when the prophet said, Oh, earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Not because there are three earths. But it was, it was an absolute emphasis you better listen up to what God said the whole world nobody's excluded better listen up to this prophecy so when he says or the angels say holy 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 they're not talking about three divine persons 
They are stressing the fact that this one is holy above all else. He is holy before he is anything else. He is holy before he's love. He's holy before he's truth. He's holy before he is anything else. He is holy. First of all, foremost, Listen to me, if he was love first and foremost, as much of the world wants to try to paint him today, if he was love first, then there would be no need for a plan of redemption. He would just take everybody to heaven the way we are. But you know why we can't go to heaven the way we are? Because he's holy. Yes, he loves us, and he wants us to go there. But his love is governed through his holiness. That's why you can come to God as you are, but you can't stay as you are. That's where a lot of places get it wrong. Just come as you are. Okay, I'm fine with that. I'm, I, I'm, 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 I'm okay with that. Come as you are. Whatever your situation, whatever sin you're involved in, come as you are. But just understand this, a holy God is not going to leave you as you are. That'd like be, that would be like going down to the emergency room and say, doctor, I broke my arm. And he said, well, I love you so much, I'm just going to let it hang there. Doctor, I, I, I've got appendicitis. Oh, well, bless you, I love you. Send you home. Because I love you just the way you are. I wouldn't dare mess with you. No, no, I love you too much to try to change you. And if the doctor doesn't intervene, you're going to die. And that's the way sin is because the soul that sinneth, it shall die. And so we don't come to God and just keep on sinning. God wants to fix that problem in our life. He's holy. He wants to resolve that issue. He wants to cure that cancer in our soul. Come. I don't care what your sin. I don't care what your dilemma. I don't care what your situation. I don't care how deep you've gone. I don't care if it's murder. I don't care if it's adultery. I don't care if it's homosexuality. I don't care what the sin is. Come as you are. But don't expect to stay as you are. A holy God won't let you stay the way you are. He loves you too much. He's holy, and that's why he doesn't give us the love spirit, though there is love that's shed abroad by that spirit. He doesn't give us the teaching spirit, though it teaches us all things and guides us into all truth. But there's a reason why the name that's given to the spirit we receive is the holy spirit. Because it's given for a purpose to make us holy. It's to change the things that are unlike God. It's to take away the things that displease God. That's why he gives us the spirit. We can't make those changes on our own. We don't have the power to transform our own lives. But he gives us his spirit. 
Listen to me. That's why just accepting the Lord doesn't change anybody. Just believing on the Lord doesn't change anybody. You've got to have the Holy Ghost. You've got to have that spirit living on the inside of you to have the power to make these changes. If you're going to go to see a holy God, you're going to have to have a Holy Spirit. If that same Spirit dwell in you, that raised up Christ from the dead, then that Spirit will also quicken your mortal body. But it's got to be the same Spirit that was in Christ. And you know what Spirit was in Christ? It was the Holy Spirit. Ah, oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, 10 of my 15 minutes is up. I appreciate folks backing me up, but that might not have been the best place. These things saith he that is holy. That word literally means set apart. It means separated. It means pure, undefiled. And Jesus Christ, who is God manifest in the flesh, was without sin and completely holy. Hebrews 4.15. Come, 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 come. I'm closing. I promise you, I'm closing. I'm, I'm not going to move on to he is true. That's going to be another. We'll start there next week, bud. But we're not even through verse 7 yet. But, uh, but anyhow, Hebrews 4.15, read for me. Hebrews 4.15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, uh-huh. but was in all points tempted like as we are. Yes. Yet without yet sin. without sin. He had every temptation that we have, but he didn't give in to any of them. That's why, you know, I have these folks that want to argue, could Jesus have sinned? Could Jesus have sinned? My answer is, what difference does it make? He didn't. Why sit and argue about what he could or could not have done when the Bible tells us what he did not do? He was without sin. There was not even any guile found in his mouth. He was perfect. James said, if any man can control his tongue, that man's a perfect man. Well, there was no guile found in the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a perfect man. Praise God. So he is holy. And as he writes to the church at Philadelphia, he is telling them, the one who is set apart is speaking to a church that's holy. There's a reason why he's using that to identify this church. Yes, they are the church of Philadelphia. They are the church of brotherly love. But I can promise you this, and we're going to see it later in the letter, but this church was also a church of holiness and separation. And they didn't give that up. They didn't walk away from that in order to make the crowds bigger, like so many have. It's amazing to me, Brother Mason. I, I, I am... You guys better play or I'll just keep teaching. Uh, It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me that even when I was a boy, back in the Stone Ages, when I was a boy, I don't care what church you call the name of any church you want to call. I don't care. I'm not throwing stones. I'm just saying. Baptist, Methodist, you name the church. 
there were things every one of them preached against. Every one of them preached against smoking, drinking. I could go down a longer list. But they all did. And now it's just love, 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 love. In fact, some churches have a 15 or 20 minute break in the mornings so everybody can go out on the front porch and smoke. And that's not a joke. That's a fact. And I'm going to tell you, God hasn't changed. And what God loves, He still loves. Anything God ever hated, He still hates. He said, I'm the Lord, I change not. And if we're going to be pleasing to God, we're going to have to learn what He loves and what He hates. And we're going to have to be holy as He is holy. In fact, that's a New Testament commandment, not just Old Testament. It's a New Testament commandment. The apostle Peter wrote, that, amen, that be ye holy because he is holy. That's a New Testament commandment. The apostle Paul said, come out from among them. Be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. There is still a mandate and a command for separation. It's there. It's in the book. And that's one of the qualities and characteristics of the church to whom God made such phenomenal promises. They were a church of love. And they were also a church of holiness. I'm striving to be like the church at Philadelphia. I think you figured that out with some of my introductory remarks. But that's where I'm aiming. And I don't think, I don't think, I don't think, Brother Self, I don't think that it's an accident that we are where we are. We're located where we're located. I don't think any of this is an accident. As we start getting into this, I don't think there's an accident in any of this. And I'm telling you, I'm just giving you a sneak peek, but it was already preached this, uh, this past Sunday, so, so I don't, it's not really a secret anymore. shouldn't be a secret anyhow if any of you have listened to that message by Elder Davis, but I'm telling you, God looked down at this church many years ago and spoke through a real prophet of God and said, use that man. He said, I've never preached this to any other church. But he said, God spoke to me in prayer and said to tell this church, I've set before you an open door. I don't take that lightly. I don't take that lightly. I was getting ready to preach that to this church Tuesday night. And, 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 and then situations happen. And along comes Brother Mays. And God uses him prophetically as well. And speaks to us anyhow. And lets us know in spite of whatever we may be going through. That door is not shut. That door has not closed. That door is still open tonight. Oh, let's love the Lord. Let's love the Lord. Praise God. Why don't we gather around? I'm going to close out here tonight, but let's just gather around the front. Everybody.